Good afternoon. Uh, welcome to this week's uh, What Comes Next Live, coming to you for the live audience at 5 p.m. Tuesday and for the larger podcast audience whenever you feel like it. Um, my guest this week is, uh, I'm going to feel my age at newly 57, a young man called Sam Roots, um, a fellow resident of London, um, and we met through the liminal community a while ago. And he's a deeply interesting person to, uh, who assures me he is not a bot when he's posting on Twitter, um, which is a reference to a Turing test conversation we just had before we went online. Um, he has a microbio, which I think I understand, but um, I'm sure he can give some context to. Um, and anyway, it's just going to be great to chat with Sam for half an hour. Good evening, Sam. How are you? Good evening, Tom. Very well, thank you. How are you? Doing good. Small talk out of the way. Tell Small us about right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much bottoms out my small talk there um i'm now actually just sort of frantically looking and seeing what i sent you as a microbio because i'm one of these people that tends to introduce themselves differently depending on who i speak to um but yeah give me some give me some leads what did i say you said you, you solve problems at the intersection of technology people and business you've been a oh, research yeah, okay. scientist designer economic analyst strategist and startup founder and today you help organizations and Public and private sectors innovate and become more customer-led right, so, by curating environments. So I'm a management consultant. That's what that means. Um, <laughs> um, uh, but I feel like I haven't totally sold my soul. I've kind of leased it uh, on, a, on a, maybe on, on a timeshare basis. Um, I, I do um, design-led innovation because that's the type that involves talking to people as opposed to working in spreadsheets mm -hmm. um, because I find people and connection with people inherently interesting. Um, and um, there's, yeah, I suppose there's, there's a lot to talk about. Um, hmm. Well, let me give you, let yeah. me give you perhaps a starter is there was some, there was some tweet came out yesterday and you and I hang out there quite a bit um, about why did Google, why does Google have so many failed projects such as Google Lens? And you just quite pithily retweeted it with, because they're, they're engineering led, not design led. And I didn't reply because I wasn't quite sure, but I also thought I might be able to ask you about it today. Um, because I'm, I've been around a bit longer than you and I've seen Google do innumerate projects. That was a hardware project, but a lot of them are just software platforms or community platforms. And they never work because they're always designed by engineers and then they crash and burn within six months. And it, it, the joke I make is that AI will never, over, will, will never hit the singularity and pass human intelligence because the algorithm is designed by engineers. So they're highly rational, logical. I say this knowing quite well that a number of my clients are large engineering companies. <laughs> um, but what do you mean by, what did you mean by that? And that leads you, in, you know, in terms of what does, design-led mean as opposed to engineering-led? Mm. So you touched on a lot of really interesting topics there, and it's like uh, <laughs> it's like an array of gifts under a tree, and I'm sort of itching to open them all. Um, but uh, so, um, so when we talk about, um, when I talk about engineering-led solutions, um, what I what I mean is, is is something a little bit like the um, now this is being very disparaging of engineers, so I should probably preface this by saying that I have an engineering degree. Um, it's a little bit like the Golem of Prague um, syndrome, where 
you get what you ask for, but not necessarily what you need. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the design led mindset is more about establishing at the outset or challenging maybe first uh, what it is that you need. And then uh, maybe redefining that because there are lots of different ways of framing any given problem to arrive at radically different solutions that might solve the problem in very, very different ways with different amounts of resources that maybe require different buy-in from different people or, or, or have different costs. So an example of this uh, that I'm particularly fond of is, um, is, is another one that points at uh, this idea of engineering solutions. What I see is typically re- haven't really gone through much in the way of a mindset shift. Um, and that's partly because that's just what the engineering training is all about it's about um it's the sort of um to to a hammer everything looks like a nail um sorry to a person with a hammer but presumably to a hammer as well um the um the idea is that it's about solving problems with the tools that you have in your mind um, Mm. rather than going out and looking for different tools perhaps so this example is uh, looking at um the delightful problem of urinal splashback um which will be um um possibly of relevance to half of your audience, I don't know. Um, but this idea that um, to, to prevent this uh, you know, unsightly and uncomfortable situation, um, there is an optimal shape of the fin in the middle of a urinal um, that reduces the splashback. And so a, a team of engineers at a university in America spent a sizable budget um, positioning uh, a stream of water over different models of urinals that had different um, shapes, and they arrived at the the perfect urinal that would not splash back. Um, whereas what uh, some I think it was actually an idea of one of the cleaning staff at Schiphol Airport in Amsterdam, they realised that you could get exactly the same result of zero splashback by um, getting people to pee in a certain part of the urinal, and the way they, they got everyone to do that was by painting a little fly on the ceramic. Um, so you have two, you have the same problem and you have two very different solutions. Um, one by changing the environment and one by changing the behavior. Yeah. So, I, when I'm listening, I'm thinking about, um, I'm actually, I'm thinking about one of the things I like, I, I do quite often is work with leaders on vision and strategy. And what I find often when you work with engineers and, uh, is that they tend to leap towards the solution with what's in their mind right away, um, rather than actually really doing a bit of design thinking and really thinking through what's the problem we're trying to solve for. Um, and it makes me think is that they, they weren't actually solving the same problem in your case. Like they thought they were, but the cleaner at Schiphol Airport was going, the problem isn't um, having the optimal diffusion of the stream of liquid. The issue is that people don't point the liquid in the right, in the same place, because if they do, it's already optimal. Mm-hmm. It makes me think about people like Dyson, who who've come up with radical new designs. And I remember when my youngest son was 12 a number of years ago, I took him on a trip to see the Falkirk Wheel, which is, uh, a, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it was a millennium project up in Falkirk in Scotland. And they, they solved the problem of reopening the fourth Clyde Canal that had been closed for many years, which used to have something ridiculous like 12 locks to cover a big drop over a hill, right? And they created, um, they created a wheel that spun around. I'm just busy drawing pictures on video for the podcast audience. 
um, which is which is basically each there were you know big long containers where you can get a narrow boat in there, and basically it took the power of one sixty watt light bulb to turn multi ton vessels, and it's something to do with something Archimedes did back in the ancient Greek age. So went to show my kid that, um, and he was blown away. It's really beautiful. It's amazing marvel of you know, great solution, uh, but applying something from 2000 years ago. But then there's a little play park around the corner. And there was there was Archimedes solved the problem of how to get water uphill. Now, if you gave the engineers 2000 years ago that problem, they would not have thought of an Archimedes screw. Which is kind of a reverse corkscrew. Mm-hmm. Um, but my kid saw this example with flowing water and Archimedes screw and I said, well, you just run on, you just, you just turn that and the water will go uphill. And he went, he worked it out in about five seconds, right, as a 12 year old. Um, but ah, it's just fascinating that we, we, why do you, why is it you think that we tend to solve, tend to have a bias towards solving problems with familiar tools? Um, I think you've answered the question in your, in your own question. I think it's to do with, I mean, if you think of tools, um, I'm making a bit of a leap here, but apparently it's the way my brain works. If you think of tools a bit like language, mm-hmm. um, a, t- a tool could be an answer to a question. Um, so if you're, if you, if you don't have something in your vocabulary, you're not necessarily going to think to know how to ask the question in a way that can be answered in a certain way. Mm-hmm. So if you, uh, are from a planet where they don't have hammers, um, you might never use nails. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm saying this as somebody who's I've sort of actually migrated from kind of making to more, much more thinking in, in what I do and work these days. But but language is, is is a crucial part of it, and being able to express and frame a problem in a way that I mean, you can basically lead somebody through a solution by how you ask the question and how you frame the problem. Um, but that's that's why I mean, when I say design led and going back to the original question, um, design led is is um, it's design design led innovation is, is is a practice that borrows a lot from design process and product design in particular, where you watch people using the tools that you're trying to redesign or you you watch people behave in in a way that is natural to them. And then you document it. And, and the, the, the skill in that is, is lies in. Um, identifying what is it's the very subjective thing of identifying what is interesting or what what is the insight in the player mm-hmm. sorry um, sort of um, uh, the user behavior that you're observing and then basically playing around with that um, and that and that process of play is, is another thing that that people often talk about in design thinking and design innovation um, is is how you loosen up the conversation to kind of Go through maybe a slightly disordered patch and guiding if you're working with a client, guiding them through in a way that they still feel safe. Uh, like there's a whole um, um, set of uh, specialist skills that rely on being non-specialist in a way. Hmm. It, you, gosh, amazing how things spin off. Um, you talked about play, and I realised I, I asked a leading question about it's the familiarity that leads people to use the tools that they have. Um, and there's a guy I met last year called Pat Kane, who's an amazing thinker, and he's a, another London-based Scot. Um, and he wrote many years ago, wrote a book about play and about the power of play. And he really had it as a kind of manifesto. He's still got the website up. 
And the Scottish, he was posting the other day, the Scottish government is about to consider following, I think, a very Finnish model of having no formal education for the first year or two of, of primary school. Hmm. And it makes me also think about familiarity is because it feels safe and doesn't feel fearful. Um, but if you watch kids play, they have no fear of embarrassing themselves or saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing. Mm. I'm just wondering, you know, like I've been cogitating a bit on how we can measure uh, different outcomes from the, from the, you know, valid empirical experiment that the Scottish government chose a number of years ago after devolution to, to not charge university fees. Whereas in England, you, you end up with a massive student debt when you, after three years. After Scotland, you get four years of university education with zero debt. Mm. And, and how does that work? But what would be the power of, you know, giving people the first two years at primary school in a safe environment with trained teachers simply to play and take mm. some of the fear out of uncertainty? And I'm sitting with a, working with a client right now where there's just a frustration and, you know, emotions that could be considered negative around the fact that they have absolutely no idea where they're going in the future. And they're used to having all the answers. And they're very aware that they need to sit with this discomfort for a period of time. But it still feels like unsafe, uncertain, unfamiliar, uh, because they know that their organization is moving into an environment in the coming years that will be very different, very unfamiliar, but very liminal, and they won't actually know what it, they don't know what it feels like. They won't know what it will look like, um, but they're aware that if they pick up the hammer, all they can do is bang in a nail. <laughs> right? So uh, yeah. they're not sure what they're going to need to do with what tools, but they do know it's not going to be hammers hitting nails. So mm-hmm. that's just it's just an interesting one to me. Um, this, this definitely this idea of the the, the, the kind of transition or maybe conflict in a conflict between structured and unstructured play mm. um it's it's really I, you know i mean i i, I went through uh school and university sort of t- took a took a slightly more science track and that's obviously you know there's a very clear right and wrong answer um mm. there's a sense of um uh, uh, um progression and linearity perhaps um, you can get obviously you can get very difficult, maybe non-linear questions in, within the bounds of the problem that you're working with. But broadly speaking, um, the the you're, you're kind of running on rails. The progression is quite clear, and that was certainly a kind of culture shock actually when I stepped off that ladder, um, stepped off the escalator because I you know go from university sort of go into a potentially corporate job or whatever, mm-hmm. um, and it's 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 rungs of a ladder. It's it's um, progression and and. You might have the occasional choice, but you know, the question as to whether it's a meaningful choice to make along that path. But then I was freelance for about four years, and and um, and and actually, no, it wasn't the freelance. It was it was a design school. Um, I did a two-year masters at the RCA, and and that was like a whole education in um, deciding, deciphering, playing with your own objective. Uh, like, what is it that you are doing? What what what? Actually, talking about AI. That talks back to that objective function with AI. Mm-hmm. Um, you have like one of the like main differentiators between um, humans and, and much of AI is that humans can decide on their own objective functions. Hmm. Um, we, we can decide what to do. We can decide what to optimize about ourselves. 
Um, and that, that basically is that's kind of a slightly engineering way of, of expressing the idea of free will. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But um, unstructured play and understanding how you negotiate that um, responsibility for yourself is, I think, a really important life skill. And probably increasingly important for companies in an age where a lot of different um, disciplines and criteria for success are are becoming much more um, interdisciplinary, cross-functional, you know, where you need more of a kind of human connective tissue in your organization. It makes me think about one of my sons didn't go to Cambridge, but he had an interview at Cambridge. And on the day, they had two interviews, and the second one had three doms, three professors in the study, who, you know, literally one of them is a Nobel laureate, right? And, you know, a couple, and this is in economics, and a couple of other ones. And they asked him, they gave him a case study, and they said, we've got you for 40 minutes, here's a case study, I need you to solve the case study. And he just looked at them and just went, I have no idea how to solve that, I've not been taught how to solve it. This is, no, we're not looking to understand how you can solve a problem we're looking to understand how you think about solving a problem so what questions could you ask us that could help you Mm. solve the problem and he told me that i don't remember much of the rest of the story but i do remember on a winter's day in in, in freezing cold cambridge in the winter um he was radiating energy when he came out and it was just this transformative experience for him, which helped him choose which university he wanted to go to. He wanted one that was going to spur different thinking in him. So he chose a university in the end where he could interact with lots of people from lots of different subjects, from lots of different ways of thinking. And that's just the way he thinks. He just thinks in different directions all the time. So it, it is fascinating that if we could teach another Scottish reference is that through a uh, foundation from um, Sir Tom Hunter, uh, the, the Hunter Foundation, uh, in primary schools they've introduced entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not just starting a business. It's thinking It's thinking in a very different and often, as you mentioned, non-linear way about what, you know, it's just it's just teaching people how to think. I mean, in, in, that could sound incredibly dystopian in the, in, with the wrong meaning. <laughs> um, but actually just getting people to use tools like, you know, structured tools for thinking like yeah. appreciative inquiry and Kaizen and things like this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's just fascinating uh, that we, that, yeah, how can we, the world is changing so fast is how can we actually start thinking differently about the problems that we face, you know? Mm. Yeah. And, and, and there's different ways of doing that. I mean, what I like to do is be a bit of a magpie and I'm, always reading and you know, I think I'm sure you can relate and this idea of actually your brain going in different directions all the time is something that I can very strongly relate to um, <laughs> the um, uh, yeah very often when when somebody asks me an interesting question it's like 10 thoughts run for my mouth and none of them make it out um, but yeah um, I'm doing I'm doing as well as I can at the end of the day and uh, with it with a little bit of a cold but um, uh, the idea of sort of having that that mentorship and exposure to different ideas and a sort of a sense of responsibility to do something with them but no you know um 
no directive criteria um, is a really exciting idea for education and for lots of things really i mean it's, it's, it sounds like a you know really exciting environment to, to learn and grow um and when we talk about you know these these um um the primary school education in scotland i mm-hmm. think that would be um i yeah i mean we, we all know that governments the world over are not great ones for making evidence-based policy but um, if you can track that data and, 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 and see, for example, if there's an, uh, I don't think you're going to necessarily see it in something like, um, um, you know, how many people, how many companies people found. I don't think that's necessarily, you know, it's not going to be linear like that, but you might see it in, um, sort of happiness in relationships or, um, lower incidence of drug use or something like that. You know, that there's going to be, other ways in which people use those tools and that 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 mental muscle to mm. um, uh, navigate their lives in a in a more active way. I, I agree. And whether it's entrepreneurship in primary schools or no university fees, uh, you take away the, the debt burden of university fees, which for those not in the UK or England and Wales, um, in fact, Americans might be familiar with this. It really isn't a student loan. It's a student tax for 30 years because the vast majority of people, uh, they're told, we'll just take this amount out of your salary by deduction, quite a high interest rate, right? And it's not enough to pay down the capital. And after 30 years, we'll just wipe, 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 wipe the slate clean. But it basically means I think it's 9% of your salary gets taken out in student loans or student tax. Um, and that creates a, a financial burden, which which adds anxiety for people, etc. So, you know, what's the, you know, there's this concept of a well-being economy that Iceland, New Zealand and Scotland are, are prominent in. Mm. And, you know, the, the, it's the metrics. And so when you talk about another way, I think you had another way of what you were doing was another way of saying structured versus unstructured and something in the middle is not being directive about mm-hmm. education, for example. I would argue that it is directive and much like the Dons were asking, you know, their, 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 their why, the reason, the reason they were running the session the way they did was not to get a problem solved in 40 minutes, but to look to understand the candidate and see, are you capable of being in an environment where we focus on, in, on, on levels of thinking? Yeah. So these are not as measurable metrics, but just like if you're working with a business that's typical strategic plan is um, how much return on capital, what gross margins, what net margins can we get? How much growth can we get in the next three years? That's great. Right. But, you know, the example you gave of business being interconnected, I mean, you know, there's a company I work with that is trebled in size in the last 15 years and is tens of thousands of people. And that's a totally different company to run than one that was not as that was a third of the size and nowhere near as geographically spread. And how do you really take advantage of all those brains who work in multiple different sectors, some related, some not, but those that may not appear to be remotely related and they might be 10,000 miles apart, might have a way of thinking about design led solutions, uh, putting it in that language. Hmm. might solve amazing problems. I mean, you could have somebody who's solved problems with putting, um, I, I can't think of hypotheticals, so I'm just going to use real ones, but they're, they're not specific for identification. 
but running electricity um, across the Himalayas. Mm-hmm. Right? The people who did that in that part of the world are not the same people who are looking to replace sewerage tunnels in central London. With a design ask from the client of these need the last ones lasted 200 years, these need to last 500 years. Now, a, a huge amount of the tools that you need and, and skills you need to design a 500-year infrastructure piece like that um, will be already available. But I have to think that the people who ran uh, electricity cables and pylons across the Himalayan mountains um, might have something to, lead, to lend to that. Mm-hmm. And when you then start looking at an organization that's got tens of thousands of people, and I could name 200 projects that they work on that are just iconic like that, right? It's like, how, how do you design a company for that? And it's not in a, um, engineering-led problem-solving way. It's in a way of like, how do we, how do we organically connect our people and let them come up with the solutions, the, these, whether they're radical or iterative, but, you know, come up with these solutions by themselves. And leading an organization like this is the sort of thing that when I talk to CEOs, this is what keeps them up at night. Yeah. I don't, how do I make the most of the people we have? Because, you know, I, I work in largely the people I talk to are in the knowledge worker space. And a huge amount of human um, economic endeavor now is in knowledge worker space, mm. um, certainly in the global north. Um, so it's just, yeah, it's, it's interesting stuff. Um, and you talk about how do you, you know, that, 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 that question of how do you make the most of the people that you have and borrowing lots of, uh, you know, almost like relocating solutions into new areas so that you can be a bit of a sort of magpie like that. Um, I think a lot of that relies on a couple of things. It's um, in order to make it happen, even in the first place, it needs uh, curiosity and humility. Mm. Um, and it also needs what we've just started talking about in my company, which is psychological safety. Mm-hmm. Um, and this idea that you, 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 you can have the, have the cultural permission to make mistakes and to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, and and um, I think that's something that a lot of companies in this area are looking at. Um, I'll just pick up on one other thing you said, um, talking about the different um, approaches. I mean, actually, the, you know, the sewer system is another nice example of an engineering solution. Um, you know, the, the, the old Bazalgette sewers under London, the sort of 1860s, giant behemoth engineering um, feat in an era of engineering feats, because that was that was what they saw as the best way to do it. Um, uh, so there are alternatives to that kind of solution around the world. Um, if you look up, you know, even in early 20th century Japan, um, there would be a, a, a daily collection of um, night soil from people's homes and richer people would have um, more valuable night soil than uh, poorer people because their, their diet was better. And then that would go and be composted and put on fields, an entirely different paradigm of dealing with, um, with sewage. Um, and, and, and like it's inconceivable to switch from where we are in, in London today to, to something like um, what you had in East Asia um, 150 years ago. But um, these kinds of actually that, that, that speaks to the, the Himalayan point. The, the fact that in some ways the, uh, the ask of the people building that system was easier than what was being built in London because there wasn't a, a pre-existing infrastructure to follow. So they had much more free reign. Um, 
so they could kind of you know come up with whatever they whatever was the air quotes best uh, solution to them at the time um based on whatever they had you know resources wise and, and landscape wise whereas when you already have an existing landscape when you already have maybe if it's you know even if it's in set in sense of um preconceptions assumptions um certain people might be resistant to certain ideas um you there's there's going to be a strong tendency to follow the path of least resistance right so in some ways actually the role of a design well there's design led innovation which is the process but actually the skill of a design consultant uh is to understand what that landscape is and to kind of um get get the get what hap- get what needs to happen to happen hmm. um in in a a slightly well i don't know politically savvy way organizationally speaking um if I, if I link into that there's there's a topic recurring i mean you mentioned about curiosity and humility right um and I, i've got this concept i developed years ago of saying the four attributes uh, of a modern leader is what i call open leadership and there's four of them, and they're really in two pairs. And the first pair are brave and hungry. But if you put those in isolation, they could also be highly toxic, mm-hmm. fear-driven and, con- and command and control. Um, but if you then pair them with the second, two, which are identical with just different words to the two ad- attributes you talked about, which are open and humble. And one mm-hmm. of my favorite um, catchphrases is from the CEO of Microsoft, who most people don't even know he is. He's not really a public figure. Um, and people ask him, so Satya Nadella, um, what do you think we should do here? He goes, says with confidence, I don't know. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Just that line creates that phrase of psychological safety. Um, so it does, it does make me think about whether you're a design consultant creating an environment for a, some degree of structure to being unstructured and, or whether I think back about facilitating leadership team meetings with a bunch of people who are very accomplished leaders and who want to dive for the solution and they'll throw things out and they'll look at you as a facilitator and Mm. your number one job is not to let them have a solution for quite some time while letting them feel uncomfortable to a point at which they don't want to kill you and i can Uh, i can feel the pain that they have is like when when you sort of gently say okay let's put that over there anymore <laughs> um, because actually that's i was there for a good like year year and a half or something in my in in that design course i did like that was where my brain was trying to go i would constantly try to short circuit the process yeah. but it's a process and it's a process for a reason I, I said this to a client the other day i said like let's get you guys all together for a few days and we'll we'll, we'll solve the thing that's that you're frustrated by it says but if we do a two-day off-site if when we go for dinner on the first night half of at least half of you should want to kill me right? and think I'm doing a rubbish job. Right? So a big part of that process is to take one or two key people that everybody trusts, whether it's the CEO or somebody else, and really prep with them, let them know what the process that the facilitator is running under the surface is mm-hmm. so they can go, ah, we've hit these markers, right? And it's, but they're not anywhere, they're contextually way above in terms of flow the actual specific answers. So they can sit there and if people will look to them and go, well, they seem comfortable, right? So it must be working. And it always works. It always just pops after a certain period of time. But I have to say, you know, there are the first, I don't know, 50 times I did it, there'd be parts of me going, and I, I, I'm a recovering accountant. I'm very linear with these things, right? I just was like, oh, 
this better work. <laughs> so, but it always okay. does. Humans, humans, if, if you put them in a good environment where they, they can really go back to childhood and play yeah. is one element. It's amazing. They're brilliant, but they've got to go to a part of their brain that doesn't go for the quick solution. And that's where the Archimedes screw comes from or the, the, the new solution, the different solution to, to something comes from. Um, well, yeah, it's like everyone is when they're in a in that kind of knowledge worker environment, everyone you know, comes into the workplace and you know, even the, the virtual office these days. But um, there's a certain performance of business and, you know, you see it everywhere. Everyone's brains, to some extent, is like a part of their brain is always tied up in how am I, you know, how is my performance? How am I doing on stage here? You know, how do I look to my colleagues? Um, does my boss think I look good? And and if you can create an atmosphere where there is a safety to just put that to one side and yeah. <laughs> you know how do you think about this little construction of spaghetti and sellotape that you've made you know, how, all, all of that yes those very safe experiments like the marshmallow one you're talking about <laughs> um, but i'll give you one i mean as we wrap things up in a while um and you and i could talk for hours clearly um i was on i had my first overseas holiday in about three years last week and I went to Madeira, right? And it's a very mountainous island, subtropical. Highest point, about 6,000 feet or 1,800 meters. Um, all the rainfalls on the north side of the island, all the cultivation is on the south side of the island, or most of the cultivation. So when it was settled in the 14 and 1500s, mm -hmm. they designed a series of levadas, which if you translate from the Portuguese, it simply means things that carry stuff. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and they lavar is the verb. So they, it carries water and there are thousands of these water channels. So they've now been used for hydropower, but basically they used to move water for agriculture and drinking and whatever. Mm. So they don't have any water shortages on the on the arid side of the island because they've got all these channels. These channels also are built um, on low gradients, which all you hear on the tours from the tour guides is it then means each of them has a pathway next to it. It means you can walk all over the mountains without getting tired. Right. What's the question I asked myself from a design standpoint? But I already knew the answer. I said, why do they design them in a shallow fashion? So the gradient is not more than two or three percent. And I knew the answer because I spent most of my adult life in the Caribbean. And I lived on a very flat island. But the island next door is Jamaica, which is almost as mountainous as Madeira and suffers greatly from roads being washed away and flash floods. Mm-hmm. And I immediately knew that if if you put these water channels too steep, they will be eroded by flooding. Mm -hmm. And, that, and that, I I guess there pools where they collect and, and the tour guide didn't know this, right? But I asked I asked some uh, Madeira business people, and they went, "That's exactly why we don't do it that way. It's just obvious to us. Right? It's like we don't bother telling anybody." And I was just thinking to myself, "It's like why?" Is, it appears to be the only place on the world that uses this system. And I would think half of the Caribbean islands could use this for collecting water and moving it long distances. It's just, it's just absolutely fascinating. So mm. um, the reason I mentioned that story is slightly different for listening audience because sometimes coming up with, uh, you know, okay, Tom's definition of innovation is, is simply doing different things and doing things differently. It's not massive radical technology. But so is a design-led solution. It's simply thinking things through 
in a different and more considered fashion that doesn't go for the, the quick hammer nail solution. And maybe talking to different people in the process. Absolutely. And one of my, a big part of my career has been working internationally and talking to people internationally. And some of the easiest ways to, to, to gain product design or um, market advantage or anything in a commercial space or just create innovation for the public space or for a social space is to talk to people in other countries and other industries. Because if the Jamaicans have actually, you know, if the Caribbean people have actually gone to Madeira, right, they would actually, you know, they would learn about moving, about how to move water hmm. from people and from people who've done it and created. Um, well, of course, I, I mean, I don't know quite the geography of Jamaica, but certainly the, uh, the history of that island is, is of a very different kind of, uh, of agriculture in the early days um, of, of settler colonialism. So that would have baked in a certain amount of infrastructure, which then, you know, maybe the path of least resistance at that point might have been just to follow that pre-existing pattern rather than to totally radically rethink it. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's, it is fascinating. I mean, obviously, the, the, you're, you're largely referring to slavery. Um, and the I can only imagine that the people who settled Madeira were an awful, the, the, they whitewashed that history a lot. And that's an interesting mm. phrase, too that there's a lot of indentured people and slaves and people who just couldn't, you know, didn't have opportunity in Portugal and went to this island off the, off the Atlantic and did stuff there. But somehow it worked differently. Um, but that goes... It might back also to just be in the, the, the time that it happened. So the 14th, 13th, yeah. 15th century, yeah. you'd have to rely on gravity rather than steam. Yeah, yeah. Although in mountainous places, steam doesn't work either because you can't get engines up a, up a hill. Um, but... No, but it does come back to, I mean, I guess I'll finish this thing because I talk about, you know, you talk about fear and psychological safety. And mm -hmm. if humans could just be a bit less fearful, it's amazing what we could achieve. And I look at my home country of Cayman, uh, well, Cayman and Scotland are my countries. Um, and I just wish people were less fearful of change. Mm -hmm. um, and I think some of that is baked in, not by physical infrastructure, but by social um, history. And right. colonialism and slavery are huge parts of that. And the same is true. There is, this, there is this, we don't know better than the mother country. Um, whereas if I be political just for a moment, it says, well, I don't think the UK is doing a hell of a good job of showing how it runs a country right now. <laughs> so, so if, you know, you look at countries like Barbados was just announced as being uh, the first country to benefit from a massive IMF fund on sustainable um, energy. Um, but it's not an accident that they've got a brilliant uh, political leader there, um, who Mia Motley, who has the confidence and self-belief to try different things. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you'd had. I think as an international leader these days, I think the biggest trap is fear and failure of imagination. Yeah, brilliant thought. Um, we could go on for hours, but what what sort of Pull those 10 or 12 thoughts that are going through your head and try to capture a few closing thoughts for our audience. Sir. Oh, gosh. Um, or just one. Plenty <laughs> is good. Don't uh, don't necessarily work with the assumptions that you have. Uh, uh, ask somebody else um, what assumptions you have. They might surprise you. Um, uh, try thinking in different directions. <laughs> All, all's good. Uh, and, well, and, and meanwhile, you're going to be continuing to timeshare your um, mind <laughs> to management consultants. Um, but as you said, there was a lot under the hood of that micro bio you gave me. Yes. Yeah. Um, 
Many thanks for the conversation, and uh, I think you and I need to get together for a walk around London sometime soon when when you're not uh, timeshared out. That would be wonderful, yeah. No, it would be great to see you IRL. IRL, which we've not done yet due to the pandemic after Indeed. the last few years. Okay, thank you very much, Sam. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Tom. Likewise. Cheers.